Welcome to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Series podcast, an ongoing discussion with experts in the fields of health, fitness, and performance, sharing the science and their tips and tricks that have the goal of taking your health from where you are to where you want it to be. Welcome back or welcome to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Series podcast. My name is Andrew Cox. I'm one of the owners and directors of a company here in Hong Kong called Joint Dynamics. And today, my most special guest is Ian Mitchell. So let me tell you about Ian. He's a futurist and an inventor who founded Wizard Sciences to create a world-class health and wellness research and development company. As a research scientist and pharmaceutical consultant, Ian is Chief Science Officer at Rebud Brands and at Higher Dose. He is Chief Science Advisor at Layla Quantum and is Scientific Advisor at Satore Neuro. Hope I got that right. And he's also Polymath <laughs> Residence at Ecliptic Capital. Here's something where it gets even cooler. So Ian, spelled I-A-N, everyone, recently developed the first viable gamma ray shielding system for use on spacecraft and space habitats Space habitats, as well as carbon negative concrete to inhibit greenhouse gas to inhibit, excuse me, greenhouse gas proliferation. I can't talk because I'm just blown away that you know <laughs> a gamma ray shielding. It's like you watch Star Trek and Star Wars, and you know what? I want one of those for myself. Yeah, actually, I uh, I've thought about the idea of a force field a whole lot. I just haven't started working <laughs> on it yet. But yeah, but no, truly, the the gamma ray thing. It actually it was. Uh, I've done work with NASA before, and the, the gamma ray thing came out of a, a paper I read that Stanford had done where they they showed that the gut microbiome was just eviscerated by gamma rays in outer space. And I thought, yeah, that, that's not so hot. You know, so we get all these rockets and, you know, we pop off to Mars. And uh, as soon as we leave, you know, the magnetosphere, that's kind of the, you know, the bubble surrounding the Earth and we're not protected, it just rips us apart. So, you know, you show up in outer space, you go outside of that protective layer, and you're out there and your body's just getting bombarded. So for the first generation with, you know, being exposed to a tremendous degree of ionizing radiation, your DNA gets damaged, but you're older, you're already moving, you're you're obviously astronaut age, um, which is older than beekeeping age. I, you know, I just, I don't really know, you know, how, how old one has to be to be an astronaut, but uh, these days, but, you know, definitively, you're probably in your early 30s at least. So the, the, the outcroppings of the damage that you're going to take in your DNA aren't going to be readily available. But if you show up in a habitat and you start having kids, those, uh, those damages to your DNA, um, and actually like tr- true damage to the DNA, is going to cause a lot of you know deformed you know properties. I mean, it kind of akin to like thalidomide babies, and it just seemed like yeah, that's that's not a good idea. You know, like you know, iteration one, we go out, we take some hits, it'll end up as most likely cancer or something like that. Um, you know, generation two though, they're they're pickled, right? And so I thought, ah, eh, this this is probably an egg I can crack. So so I just started working on it, and I leveraged. It was actually it was pretty cool. I leveraged a bunch of principles that are that are just things that occur in outer space that don't occur here terrestrially, and and it it made it work like a champ. I will tell you, <clears throat> I had the uh, the deputy director of NASA flew down to my lab, and uh, I had the whole the whole experiment set up, 
And this was this was truly the worst professional moment of my entire career. In the process of setting it up, we we had it set up in a lab at a university to remain unnamed. And uh, you know, you never want somebody to walk by and see like radiation stickers on things. So we had actually set it up, tested it, worked flawlessly. Uh, she flew in, <clears throat> and the next day we were going to demonstrate it for her. So we we moved it into the back area, the back part of my lab, and uh, we had a big jelly roll of thorium wrapped in lead. And so thorium emits you know gamma radiation, and then we had this whole rig set up. In the process of moving it, it got knocked over, so it was firing laterally instead of straight up through the little hole where we had the Geiger counter on the top and the block and everything set up. And so, you know, we, we get her in and we do the whole song, song and dance routine. And, you know, it's like time for the test, do the test, test fails. <laughs> it, was, it was like, it was really, it was so bad. I was like, okay, we'll do this again. We did it. A it worked time. yesterday, I promise. And I literally, I looked at her, it was so preposterous. I looked at her and went, Look, mom, no hands because I because I could not fathom what had happened, and so uh, I said, "Listen, uh, there's obviously an issue here. Why don't you guys go get some food? I'll figure out what it is." And uh, one of the professors that was there with me, uh, we we got to talking because I was freaking out, and he said, "Well, have you checked inside the box?" And you know, because we had this huge lead line box, I thought, well, "Well, no. Why would we do that?" You know, but. But in truth, that was that was the thing. So we opened the box up, and the thorium jelly roll had fallen over sideways. And uh, so once we stood it back up straight, and it was vertically oriented, so it was shooting out the little testicle. Everything worked like a champ. But it was truly, truly the worst professional moment of my career. Kind of you're standing there, like <laughs> I promise, I didn't have you fly down because I wanted to have lunch with you. You know, I it was like it's legit tech, really. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So just just another day in the life of Iron Mitchell. Hey, um, yeah. How about you give me the other day? So that that was one that potentially turned out to be a highlight. Once you worked out that if you spun the thing back upright, it all worked again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was so ridiculous. Truly, so ridiculous. I I can't tell you. Like you have somebody like that fly in specifically to see something like that, and then you fall, I think flat. You know, you just kind of <laughs> you know, just totally just on that. I, I I have this image iron of. The, the NASA lady flying in on like one of those crazy government helicopters. Did she fly in one of those and land in your backyard? <laughs> any chance? Or get beamed? No, that, that. that would have been fantastic, though. <laughs> Tell the neighbours. Hi, guys. I'd like to pause this chat for a brief moment to introduce to you a current sponsor of the Joint Dynamics podcast and pass on a benefit to you, your health, and your wallet. Mu Functional Mushrooms have five vitality-enhancing product offerings for you. Lion's Mane, Cordyceps, Chaga combined with ginseng, Reishi Mushroom, and also Turkey Tail. Three of their five products are organically grown in the spectacular Yarra Valley of Australia. Another, the Chaga, is grown in a remote forest in Siberia. All are non-GMO, third-party lab-tested and produced in a way to maximise all beneficial bioavailable active compounds. Currently, I'm using the lion's mane in my morning coffee for the cognitive benefits and focus in memory. I'm using the cordyceps as a pre-workout for assistance with energy and strength, and then I follow my workout with chaga and ginseng as a post-workout for easing physical and mental stress and also the immune support. I've got to be honest, guys, at times of the morning, I combine all three of these. Also on offer at Mew 
functional mushrooms is the reishi mushroom and that's to assist with alleviating stress and tension and also assist in improving sleep quality. And then finally, their final product is the turkey tail mushroom, which excels for immune support. All of these functional mushrooms are based on the wisdom of thousand-year-old traditional medicines and are available for you today at muvitality.com. That's M-U-Vitality.com. When you head over to muvitality.com and you use the code JD10, that's capitals JD for Joint Dynamics, and the numbers 10 for 10, JD10, you will receive a 10% discount on your entire purchase. So head over to muvitality.com, use the code JD10 and save. And also experience the benefits that I'm experiencing and also support this show. Thanks a lot. Let's get back to it. No, that, that would have been great, though. Sadly, nothing like that commercial flight into the airport. Yeah. Fair enough. Hey, mate, can you tell me about wizard sciences? So outside of sure. the other stuff that you're doing, the gamma ray, um, tell us about wizard sciences. Yeah, so Wizard Sciences was basically kind of a, it was me wanting to just focus on doing the kind of the, the best R&D I could with the nanoparticles that I had been working with for the better part of, at that point, the better part of a decade, now well over a decade. So I, uh, I work with Carbon 60, which is just, uh, it's an allotrope of carbon, just meaning it's another form of carbon. So you've got like graphite and diamonds, uh, amorphous carbon and and fullerenes and so this specific you know fullerene is it's a cluster of 60 carbon atoms uh in the shape of a truncated icosahedron or as everybody around the world would lovingly call it a football so in the u.s it's a soccer ball everywhere else it's a football uh so that's you know that's exactly what it is it's 60 60 vertices which are all carbon atoms forming a little spherical cluster and so it's it's kind of this amazing thing when you bind it to fats, different fats move different places in the body. So I I've coupled it with different fats to get it to do different things. Like in the case of the, the neural serum, um, it's bound to caprylic acid, which is a carbonate chain. And so when you digest that, it fractionates in your liver, turns into ketone bodies, some of which have the, the nanospheres attached them. And then it translocates to your brain. So you get this kind of drop in neural inflammation and a bunch of other benefits uh, one of the others is bound to oleic acid, which is the main fraction of olive oil. And so that one's a long chain fatty acid so that goes through your normal digestive process. And a lot of that ends up in skeletal muscle. So, and most of your organs. So it's, uh, it, it has kind of a, an athletic effect because that's a lot of people, uh, it's the, the product that I use for that or, or two evolve and Olympic RX and Olympic is the one that at the, the CrossFit games that just happened, I think nine of the 13 first place finishers across all the divisions were taking it um, because it, it really does. It changes the way your body performs. It allows a, a much, a much higher degree of muscle recruitment. So you, you appear as if you're tremendously stronger and it's a dose dependent function. And the, the reason I know that is because I pulled my hamstring twice and tore the muscles in my lower back, back in there, you know, the 2000, 14, 13, around there, it, while in the process of developing all that stuff, trying to figure out what was going on. And I realized, oh, these Russian guys had done a research paper on this with rabbits and, and figured out that there was a dose-dependent function. And the more of it you took, the more skeletal muscle activation you could. The, the paper re refers to a thing called super precipitation of skeletal muscle acromycin. And so they found that there was this dose-dependent function. So if you take a bunch of it, 
kind of like Captain America sauce. You can do all these <laughs> ridiculous things. But the, the one thing I will tell you is muscles rebound really quickly and they can also handle a lot of blood flow. And your body downregulates your muscular capacity, say, by a factor of three or four. So normally, normally what you're actually firing is 25 to 30%-ish of your muscle fibers. And the only time that you you fire more than that is if you're in some rapid sympathetic state, you have kind of a fight or flight response and your body, you know, in, in an effort for survival, just, just triggers everything to fire. But typically you, you get downregulated and you're only firing at 25 to 30% of your capacity. So you really have a lot more that you can do, but because we're not designed to be running at that kind of like the red line, you know, on the tachometer all the time, uh, what happens is if you use all of that consistently, it puts a lot of strain on uh, all of your joints and anything that, you know, is basically like chondrocyte dependent, you know, all of the, the connective tissues, um, you can overtax those. R really what I recommend to people is if you're a pro athlete or something like that, and you're going to use it for really amping up your capacity, uh, use pulse electromagnetic fields and red light or lasers on your joints because they, they just don't get a lot of blood flow, right? So you want to stimulate the growth and the enhancing of those particular areas. And the best way I've found to do that is uh, using pulsed electromagnetic fields and lasers. And, and that actually, that's really something that I kind of uh, put to the test a, a year ago, actually, when uh, our mutual friend Hunt was, uh, was in Oklahoma to visit me. The day that we wrapped with our meetings, I was in a really, really bad motorcycle wreck. And uh, my femur ended up inside of my tibia. So upper leg bone ended up inside the lower leg bone and punched it down an inch, basically two and a half centimeters for you guys and split it open down uh, basically like 15 centimeters. So like a log, it just like cracked the whole thing open. But I, uh, I, I was told by the orthopedic surgeon that I needed to have, you know, surgery and they were going to put in pins and plates and screws and I was going to be immobilized and the joint wasn't going to be able to move for at least 12 weeks. And I wouldn't be able to put any pressure whatsoever on the leg for 12 weeks. And, uh, you know, I was going to have to be under general anesthesia for the whole thing. And I actually said, is that the best you've got? You know, and, and he said, well, yeah, it's standard of care. That's what we do. And I said, yeah. I'm not doing that. I, so I, I said, I'm just going to check myself out <laughs> and they, you know, and they kind of thought, well, what? And so I, I called my staff and said, guys, uh, go get one of those fancy hospital beds that has all the, you know, the electric raising and lowering things and set it up in the lab and, and then come pick me up. And so they literally drove to the hospital and loaded me into the back of a Toyota, like a, uh, like a wounded dolphin kind of on a bed sheet and slid me off the gurney. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it was, I was immobile. My, my collarbone had been split in two. So this arm was completely fragged. And, and then my, my, my leg was not able to move at all. And I had a, just a splint on it, holding into position. So they quite literally, three of my guys picked up sheet and slid me into the back of the pickup truck and drove me across town and uh, got to the, got to the lab and we opened up the garage bay doors on the lab and they moved the hospital bed up to the front and pulled the truck up and slid me out and dropped me on. And I spent a couple of weeks there doing stem cells, pulsed electromagnetic fields, lasers, nanoparticles, uh, basically every modality I had to throw at it. And I was, I was back up and walking in, in like three weeks and I was, Life. I had the, yeah, I had the all clear from the orthopedic surgeon that everything was healed and done with all the scans and x-rays at nine weeks. 
So it was actually, it was really funny. I went back in after a week because I was doing, I was doing this like real heavy duty cycle of uh, 40 minutes on 40 minutes off with the pulse electromagnetic fields and altering that or alternating that rather with, uh, with high intensity led red light bays. Yeah. The red light. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. I used an EMR tech light is what I use. And I use the pulse centers coils for the pimp. Is that and, like a and far I, infrared, I, like an infrared, the red light? Yeah. It's, it's a red near infrared and far infrared. Yeah. And so it was all three. And, and it, I actually, I had my, my guys build kind of a, we took a, a hoist, like an engine hoist and built like a kind of a crane assembly out of, uh, Unistrat, which is just kind of like a metal channel thing that would have the lights on it so we could wheel it over the hospital bed on a hoist. And so I could put the pimp coils on because you put one coil on above and one coil below and you pulse it. And then, I, then I'd take it off after 40 minutes and would wheel the lights in. And I'd alternate from my collarbone to my femur. So I, I or my tibia really was the one that was actually impacted. My, my femur was actually the... Uh, the perpetrator of the perpetrator of the break. So the mallet. Really, yeah, it, it was in fact the mallet. Yeah. Uh, so both the mallet and the wedge. Yeah. One of the guys that worked for me is a, a former uh, green beret and spec ops guy. And, and he said, Oh, high impact trauma. And he said, yeah, paratroopers get that. Apparently when their shoots don't deploy, they have the same, same impact thing where they kind of split their legs open. Uh, which is less than I will tell you, it is a less than thrilling injury. <laughs> so. you, you know, I just had this moment. I okay, we've I think we've been chatting now for ten minutes, and already we've we've discussed a gamma ray shield, a lady from NASA, and then you defying medicine and going, "I'm leaving, mate. I'm going to look after this myself." And, and this yeah. idea of the the futurist that the using of nanoparticles and then the the red and far and right. This is is certainly a glimpse into the future because I don't know many other people that have uh, had that healing experience. Um, yeah, and and, and maybe didn't have the guts, didn't have the nuts to do it. To be honest, um, that's another thing as well. Um, but but when, when you talk about those modalities that you used. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, well, there's so many to get into, and I'm fascinated by the. The, the near and far infrared light, if you wouldn't mind sharing for me and for the listening audience um, why you think, why, why that works, what's the benefit there? And then let's jump back into the the nanoparticles, the C60, because that's that's fascinating when, and, you know, there's that old saying, the truth is what works, when nine of the top 13 from the CrossFit Games are using your yeah. stuff, then that's phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, it was actually. It was a, it was a, hell of a turnout this year you know i mean they really those guys crushed it you know they're all insanely good athletes to start one of the one of the guys uh called me the very first day that that he tried it and he said hey we have mutual friends who had my number to call and said hey uh is this legal (laughs) i said yeah it's legal and he goes i just put up weight and he was uh sam was the fellow's name and he was he was getting out of the actual CrossFit games and doing the the masters, which is like the, you know, 35 to 39, because, because in CrossFit, it's so crazy intense that at 35, you're a master's athlete, right? Yeah. You've aged out. And so he called and we were talking and he said, yeah, man, I, uh, I literally ran my fastest run time today ever. And I put up weights. Like I lifted weights today and I was hitting things that I haven't been able to hit in seven and 10 years respectively. And he's like, this is crazy. And I said, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's 
it's activating more skeletal muscle, right? It's not that it's not that there is more muscle. It's not that it's amping you up in some ridiculous way. It's just better recruitment, right? So the is muscles it transient, there. Iron? Is it transient? I just say if it, I use yeah, it for a week is. and I smash it, then I go off it. All the benefits are gone. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a little bit longer to cycle out of your system, but yeah, it is transient. So it's not going to stay that way. Now, the the one thing that I will say is it, because I've been doing this longer than probably just about anybody else and have taken arguably more of the stuff than any, any other creature on the planet, but it's, you can use it to enhance your workouts because you don't get the say it like Dom's, you know, the delayed onset muscle soreness that just doesn't happen the same way, right? You can get some, but you have to really push yourself. So I, I was just at a, at a meeting last week with the head of Satori, and uh, that was one of the, the companies you you referenced there, Satori Neuro. And Randy, um, I, I had told him this before he started using it, and and he, he he said he felt so good when he was working out because he wasn't getting sore. He wasn't fatiguing. So he just kept pushing, and, and he was hitting all these PRs and just kept hitting consistent PRs. And uh, he was fine for a day and then everything kicked in and he kind of, you know, did the dead bug thing where his arms folded up and he could barely move. And, that, and that's why I always caution people is you have this boost where you're not going to fatigue at the same rate um, because you're using more of your muscle. It's, it's going to nix a lot of the lactic acid that you would normally use as a signal to say, like, load the hell down. Right. You're feeling the burn. Chill out a little bit. You don't feel that stuff as much. So you can go longer and harder. And, and that's fine if you do it appropriately. But if you push too hard, you know, that's why I was saying that, you know, connective mm -hmm. tissue isn't set up for that. And truly, at, at a certain threshold, your muscles aren't set up for that. One of the things that's really tricky is um, typically if you push yourself to an extreme limit, there's a there's a thing that happens called rhabdomyolysis, yeah, where yeah. you basically, you know, you have a plume of too many proteins from too much shredded muscle and, or something like that. You know, I mean, there are a couple of different things that can actually trigger it. But but that's kind of one of the common causes. And a lot of CrossFit athletes get that. But this uh, basically because it acts in a lot of ways, almost like an inline dialysis filter in your blood is going to stop that from happening because it's going to bind to those things. And, you know, it's, it's renally and hepatically protected so, or protective. So your liver and kidneys are protected and buffered from a lot of the things that would normally cause a problem. So you can work out harder than you would have ever been able to work out without the detriment, but you, your body is, is a progressive system, right? You're not supposed to go, yeah, instead of, uh, instead of lifting a hundred pounds, 20 times, I decided I was going to just drop 2000 pounds on the bar, do it once. Yeah. You know, there's, there's like a, there's a very different outcropping of effects when you drop 2000 pounds on somebody's chest, as opposed to a hundred pounds, 20 times, you know? So you've, you've got to, even though you can do these different things, you have to sort of respect your physiology and act appropriately. So yes, the effect is transient, but it does allow you to do things like develop to a level that you wouldn't have been able to develop yeah, yeah. That, that's what I, when i said transient uh, obviously if you're lifting heavy and you're doing more volume well then that'll drive adaptation into the soft tissues so exactly that benefit obviously um but i just yeah. thinking from the performance perspective um can you can you share as best as possible the the mechanisms that that create sure. response from c60 
Yeah. So, well, again, it, it triggers uh, super precipitation. So you, you actually recruit more of the muscle, but yep. what's actually happening is, so you bind it to a lipid um, when you bind the C60 to a lipid, because normally it's hydrophobic, right? It will not bind with anything that's aqueous. So water is a no, no. Uh, but when you, when you bind it to a lipid, it actually hits the cell membrane. And there's a, there's a good national Institute of health paper on this. It It hits the cell membrane, moves through the cell membrane, delocalizes from the lipid. And then the nanoparticle moves into the intermediate layer between the inner and outer membranes of the mitochondria. And, and the mitochondria are kind of, you know, everybody's the powerhouse of the cell. And so what happens there is when it goes in there, it blocks a lot of the oxidative stressors that would normally be uh, impinging energy production inside the mitochondria. So in the lab, what we found is just, just with that, before I added any other things to really amp up the, uh, the energy production cycle, there was at the low end an 18% and the high end 58.3% increase in ATP production. So we were able to measure, yeah, it's huge, huge, huge difference, right? So it's literally, it's like, not only are you giving more gas, you're expanding the, uh, you know, the size of the cylinders in the motor, right? So it, you get this huge effect and 58.3% is for anybody who knows anything about ATP, that is an insane jump. And that was before I added nicotinamide mononucleotide and resveratrol and PQQ and CoQ10 and all the different things that that I, that I put in there. And, and there was a, there was kind of a, a lot of, a lot of tinkering with it to figure out um, how biologically to balance everything. But the, the net effect is you end up with a much more robust energy production cycle just from the C60. So in the electron transport chain, when you, when you're able to block the oxidative stress load, it allows a lot more to actually happen. So it's kind of funny. People think like it's producing more energy. It's not actually producing more. It's literally, it's blocking system loss. It's, you know, it's like if you had, if you had a house and you were trying to condition the interior of the house because it's really hot outside and you left the doors open, the windows open and didn't have insulation in the walls. This basically closes the doors, closes the windows and puts insulation in the walls. So it's, it's naturally, we have the capacity, we just lose it because we're not good sports of, you know, cellular function. And the interesting thing is when you're younger, your body functions more effectively as you age, your body loses mitochondrial efficiency. And that's, that's why people, you know, become lethargic, their hair grays out. I mean, there's, there's all these things, you know, you lose your hair, it starts to recede, like all, all these things are because your body is designed to survive. It's not designed to survive terribly well, right? It, it prioritizes survival. It doesn't prioritize, you know, aesthetic beauty that much in a lot of cases. So there are a lot of systems that, you know, downregulate like melanocytes producing melanin so that you can actually get your your coloring and things like that right like that stuff dips out because your body doesn't really care it's kind of immaterial you know it just needs to keep going keep hunting it's kind of like the uh the far side cartoon with the jurassic calendar you know it's uh, with the dinosaur calendar just says kill something eat it kill something eat it <laughs> over and over it's like daily to-do list from, from a biological perspective, it's kind of what we're doing, right? Cells just want to survive, so they prioritize survival. They don't prioritize, you know, wellness and longevity, and they just prioritize not dying. Well, and, if, uh, so, if if we well, you brought up if you take a snapshot of popular culture at the moment, or or, or the the world of social media, and I would say longevity is one of the the hottest topics for a reason. It's 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 a fascinating um, topic, and we're in a very novel 
position. You know, we're about to have more people over the age of 65 than we are more people under the age of 18 for the first time in this planet's history. So there's this whole yeah. push on longevity. Um, and the one molecule of Earth, you know, dive into the world of David Sinclair and then Peter Atiyah. I, I was just with him, actually. Yeah. So Amazing. Yeah. So is he? Yeah. Sharp, uh, sharp guy. Really sharp guy. Yeah, he's Australian, mate. Captain, Captain America and he's Captain Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he hasn't mentioned, or has he? he hasn't, to my knowledge, I read his book and uh, I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. He hasn't mentioned C60. Is this a new new discovery in the world of longevity? It sounds like it totally makes so much no. in the world of longevity. Like, how do you use it for longevity? What did David Sinclair say even? Uh, actually, it's kind of funny because the, the, he was on a podcast and they were interviewing him and he was he was talking about it. We had talked about this before <laughs> and I I told him this before, but uh, it, I, I did this, this experiment with P53 knockout mice who are the, they're the mice that we use in oncology when we're trying to test different chemotherapeutics to see how, you know, how well it's going to work against blocking or ameliorating or negating tumor burden. And uh, so my mice didn't, not only did they not die of cancer and get tumors, which they're literally genetically designed to do, uh, they lived 93% longer. So to the best of my knowledge, that is the the longest extension of a mammalian lifespan that anybody's actually ever pegged down is 93%. Now, th- there's another group in France that did the same thing with C60 that I was doing, uh, slightly different, but they got a 90% difference in lifespan, right? They got a 90% extension. Yeah, it was a... Uh, uh, research on the rats? I remember reading something yeah, about yeah, the rats. Yeah, yeah. They tried to find the toxic load, and in the end, they're like, <laughs> they're not dying, they're living longer. <laughs> was that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah that was uh, the the Paris study in 2012. Yeah, and that was Fathi Moose's research group, and it was uh, the papers under Bati B A A T I at all. So uh, it's it's a good paper. It's it's kind of interesting though. It's just humorous when you look at the the mortality curves the way they plotted. It's like dead control group, dead experimental group, D60 group just keeps going. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's it's actually it's a lot like the experiments with uh with gamma radiation that they did on on uh, rats with C60. They were giving them like 8 to 11 sieverts, which probably means nothing to most people, but it's like a, a super lethal dose of radiation and the yeah, the rats that had the C60, they just kept on humming. You know, it it handled the ionizing radiation incredibly wow. well and it just they motored on. Just um, as a point yeah. of reference on that, Iron, how much gamma radiation did the Hulk receive? When he uh, a little bit more than that, I mean, it, that's what changes the green color. Yeah, got, no, it's, you got to you got to get a lot. To... Just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> Sorry, back back to your mice and, and your mice. Um... That's a transient effect too, but it really does do a lot for your muscles. So, <laughs> your mice were they using the Neural RX or or the Olympic RX, or were they just using C sixty on its own? So it was a, it was a, it was kind of like a, a version that was closer to the Olympic RX because it has a more whole body effect. The neural really, you're not able to with caprylic acid, you're not able to bind as much C60 in it. So I wanted something where I could get a lot of C60 into the cells because I was trying to kind of hit peak perfusion, like get as much of it in their system as I could. So it was closer. It was the same oleic acid base, and it had just a couple of other compounds in it. Right. So the it actually. It, Sadly, I, I hadn't developed the uh, the Olympic at that point. It, it would actually function even more effectively. So I think if knowing that, I mean, granted, that was that was quite a while ago. It was almost a decade ago that I did that now. And if I did it now, I, I think a 93% extension would be 
laughable. I would expect a couple hundred percent at best. And <laughs> Mate, let's give yeah. the people what they want right now. Those out there listening to this going, tell me what to do for a longevity protocol. What? Hang on. It's not black and white. I'm, I'm <laughs> to stay away from bin- funny, but- try to stay away from binary <laughs> statements. Don't I? Um, on the longevity piece, what, what would you suggest using what your, your understanding and the toolbox that you have in your garage? Um, what do you suggest for longevity just on that? Okay, so the the best thing that I've seen personally is, and this is why I started taking it in high doses, is the C60. But I would also say that you'd want to do a pretty chunky dose of uh, urolithin A and uh, a pretty hefty dose of um, uh, L-carnosine as well. So in in one is a one triggers urolithin A triggers mitophagy, right? So it finds damaged mitochondria and you know, releases, it stimulates macrophages to go in and break them apart so that your body produces new healthy mitochondria to replace them. And then L-carnosine is a synolytic. So it goes in and it scours uh, through the cells. And truly, there, there are actually, there are a couple of people that have made just crazy strides on longevity. Um, there's a fellow in, I know, he's a really great cryobiologist named Greg Fahey. And uh, Greg has a thing called the TRIM-X protocol that's a, in FDA phase twos right now. And it's basically using uh, somatropin, which is like a, a human growth hormone. Uh, so it's using low-dose human growth hormone at uh, 0.015 megs per kg um, as a daily dose four days a week in combination with DHEA metformin, which I don't actually agree with. I, I think you'd be better off with berberine rather than something that's in, impinging the mitochondria for the same kind of same effect. But but uh, Greg's gotten phenomenal results. And then I think zinc and vitamin D are the, the other two components. But as a kind of a, a daily cocktail four days a week, he's actually been working on thymic regeneration. And when the thymus gland regenerates, it's what actually takes a lot of your cells and matures them so that your immune cells function, right? And it puts your immune system back online. And if you look at Greg talk and I, and I know him personally, he's a really sharp guy, but he's, he's in his, I think Greg's 73. Now, when you watch a lecture with Greg talking, you look at him and go, there's no way in hell this guy's 73. And, you know, like we, we, I mean, we've been at conferences together and, and talked and genuinely a nice kind man and very smart, really good cryobiologist. Um, who figured out how to freeze organs and thaw them without destroying them so that they could be reused. Really, really, truly brilliant work on that front. Um, but his Trimax protocol is great. I mean, it's it's showing all of the indices that you can check for, you know, the Horvath clock and methylation clocks and the Grim Age clock. Everything that he's tested, it appears that it's rolling the clock back. Um, and it's so, you know, and it, and if the proof's in the pudding, if you look at Greg, uh, I mean, homeboy looks pretty damn skippy, (laughs) you know, colloquially, I mean, he really does physically, he looks great. And the thing that's interesting is the way he carries himself. You can see when people are aging beyond, you know, 60, 70, they start to have a little bit of a kind of a kink in their gait. They don't move as effectively. I'm sure, you know, given what you do, you see that all the time, right? Older people, just don't seem to move as well. And his mannerisms and his carriage is so fluid that you would literally just by looking at him, you'd go eh, mid fifties, maybe early fifties. You would never say early seventies ever. And, you know, I just, just pull up any video with him and, and you can see that. And uh, so he's doing pretty phenomenal work. And then there's, uh, you know, Dave Sinclair's work and David does like 
really, really good stuff. His, his paper that just came out on, you know, uh, chemical cocktails was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of NMN. You know, it's kind of unfortunate that the, uh, the FDA has put a kibosh on it or started to. I don't think it's actually going to stick. They did the same thing with N-acetylcysteine and, and that didn't really take. And I don't think the... I don't think they're trying to block NMN is going to work because it functions so well. It's such a good compound. You know, I mean, you really, you really do as an NAD precursor, it makes a huge difference because I've tried, you know, NAD, NMN, NR, and, you know, NR is okay, but it's, to me, it sort of pales by comparison to the NMN. I mean, the nicotinamide riboside, it's good stuff. Uh, Charlie Brenner is, I think, the guy with Chromadex or who's licensed at Chromadex who's worked on that and he seems like a huge proponent of nr but you know i have no dog in the fight of nmn versus nr and if i had my druthers a hundred percent of the time i would go with nmn is wizard sciences going to produce a new product that has carbon 60 with nmn resveratrol and maybe l L-carnosine in it? Is there? Is that uh, actually the L-carnosine? Yeah, Olympic and Neural both have both of those. So they both have NMN and resveratrol. Oh, really? Oh, mate, it's your one-stop yeah. shop. Yeah, it will. And the, the rationale for that, like I said, you know, the, the enhancement that you get in function <clears throat> was because it blocked system loss. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm blocking system loss, what's the best best research on? increasing system gain and function. And so that's that's actually when I, many years ago, um, met David Sinclair because I, I'd read the papers and, and a lot of the research on NMN. I thought it was pretty fascinating. We, we were at a conference and started talking to him. Um, and he's, like I said, really super sharp guy and, and very much into his research. And, and, you know, Harvard Med School is, they're not slouches. He's, he's doing some great work there. Um, r- really impressive. I mean, there's there's kind of some, there's some scientists that I, I really, uh, I think do good work and he's, he's really good because a lot of times he does things that fly in the face of convention. And as a scientist, you get a lot of flack for that, right? Like you really get panned and especially Especially if you get notoriety. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's kind of an interesting thing because typically you don't find people who, uh, who are tenured professors that are really willing to rock the boat because they're, they're afraid that they're going to get ixnay and shot out. But, but I know a, a lot of his stuff, it seems like just from the papers I've read, you know, and uh, it seems like they're, they're really kind of pushing the bounds on a lot of things that, you know, I, I, I wish I knew all of the, uh, the secret ingredients to the chemical cocktails um, because I, I do take, I do take it to heart when they say like, Oh, you know, we figured out how to do a full reversal of cellular age using these different compounds. Now, who knows the compounds could be like crazy, crazy tricky, or maybe they could be totally simple. Who, you know, you really don't know. I, I've seen some people look at, you know, because it's referenced in this papers like valproic acids and things like that. I I'm sure at some point, all that will become common knowledge. And, you know, I'm young enough that even if it comes out, you know, in two years or 10 years, it's not going to really impinge me that much. I'll just start taking it then. But in the meantime, there's things like, you know, Greg Fahey's protocol. There's a, a fellow named Todd Ovakitis who does very small embryonic like stem cell work. And that's, that's actually, in my opinion, just that's probably the single biggest needle mover, like for repairing my leg. Um, was hitting myself with huge rounds of stem cells. I did seven seven stem cell procedures in six weeks. Did you get and some crazy inflammatory immune response when you did that? Or 
Well, so the C60 actually blunts the inflammatory response. Now, you do get kind of a crazy immune response, but that's actually good. But in that case, when you have something that's a, a massive acute injury and you're pumping that many kind of, you know, new nascent stem cells into your system, um, they, they find their way to where they're going. And one of the interesting things is you can actually use lasers to target them. And that get that gets kind of on this whole kind of odd quantum biology front, but but there is there is a there is a principle at work there where you entangle particles, and it's something that you know we've pretty demonstrably shown in my lab. And you can you can actually entangle particles and get them to move to certain spots. And it's you know that's that's where things start to hit quantum biology, where you're looking at effects that are so subtle that we can see the outcropping of the effect, but we we don't actually like i don't have a quantumometer i can't gauge you know like oh this is quantumly linked or this is you know all we can see is like in a biological system is we can say okay more particles move to this area than move to this area this area was hit with the lang- the laser that was entangled to these things when they were you know um you know in 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 vitro and and we've been able to move them um you know, in situ and, and they're, they're actually showing up in position, locking into place in the body. And it, it's, it's kind of crazy. And like when you, when you start doing, doing the quantum stuff, but that's actually the thing that I like the most because it makes me think because I, I can't Google an answer. I'm kind of like, ah, and w- which goes back to my take on, you know, what a real scientist should be doing. And this is why, you know, I, I admire people, uh, who, even though they have tenure to university, are, t- are trying to kind of push things a little bit, you know, and pro- I'm sure catch a lot of flack for it. But as a scientist, really, you have to be kind of agnostic about it because I've done some experiments and we've done them repeatedly, like double blind placebo controlled studies with the quantum behavior on things in a physical system. And the results are just weird. They're absolutely damn weird, right? But you get that and you you don't go like, Oh, well, it's strange. Let's exclude it. You know, you go, okay, well, I don't understand this. Let's pull the thread, right? You have to be really agnostic and let the data take you where the data takes you. That's like, that's good science. You know, when you go, oh, I've dropped this ball a thousand times in the, you know, the hundred or the thousandth time it hovers in the air, you don't go, well, it's aberrant and exclude it. You go, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, and you like you lock down on that. And that's and I use that analogy a lot because it literally is like that. Some of this quantum stuff, you see it and you're like, I'm sorry, that does not function even remotely like I thought it should function. Like and and then you do it again and you go, still not functioning the way I thought it would function. Like and you do it a couple of times, you're like, what the hell's going on? I have no idea. So that which is great. I like to be in that space where I feel like the slow guy in the room because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, you know, and it, because then you have to think you're going to be like, okay, let's break this down. It's kind of, it's interesting to me because a lot of times in science, I see things where it was like working on neural RX, right? Neural RX was literally designed for people with Alzheimer's. And so really? I, yeah, yeah, that's, that's its use, right? It is, it, it, people use it as a nootropic because they don't have really, horrible cognitive deficits. So it amps up their brain phenomenally well, but it was literally every single component in that stuff was thought out very carefully to ameliorate certain conditions for Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And so it works amazingly well. Like I, I, if I had the, the capital resources, I would put that thing in an FDA trial today. 
Yeah. I wouldn't pass go. I wouldn't collect $200. I would put it in today because I already know the result because I've seen it so many times from people who have written me who had family members that had Alzheimer's and it's profound, but every single component was specifically designed for that. You know, like you've got ceratiopeptidiase in there, which is a proteolytic enzyme because there was a Japanese research group that showed that would pass the blood brain barrier and break down tau proteins and amyloid plaquing. And not that does that's that in the joints as well, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, 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 it does. So, and I, and I actually, I included that in the Olympic serum for that very reason. So mm-hmm. I've got a, a really highly, highly concentrated, um, you know, version of that enzyme. That's it's, it's about eight times stronger than anything you could buy on the market. Yeah. Um, and I, and I put that in there because that stuff packs a punch. <laughs> Unfortunately, I will tell you, if you're working in the lab and you happen to get a little bit on your hand and maybe just wipe your eye at some point, <laughs> bad. <laughs> really, really bad. Yeah, I I made the mistake about five years ago. Of, actually, I just got some powder on my hand. I wasn't, you know, just being sloppy, and uh, at some point, must have done that. And then about an hour later, my eye literally closed. Couldn't. It was it was out for a day. Couldn't couldn't use it. Yeah, the 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 enzymes went to work, and it was less than thrilling. So, <laughs> not yeah, in the way that you would have <laughs> but all those components, everyone has a purpose, you know, yeah. um, I'm going to upregulate the lymphatic system so that y- your brain actually uses um, this little subset of your lymphatic system is in your brain called the lymphatic system. And it opens while you're asleep and it uses interstitial fluid and cerebrospinal fluid to literally wash your brain. Right. So yeah, those the, two the things. Amyloid, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. but the problem is with, with things specifically like tau proteins and, and amyloid plaques is. It's like trying to wash away a boulder with a garden hose. They develop over time and they're sticky and they cluster together and they wrap and pack around things. And if you go in and you just try and wash it out, well, as you're getting as you're getting older, that's literally the, the lymphatic system is literally like it's a hydrostatic system, right? So it's got a certain pressure gradient and it's opening up and actually trying to wash. Well, as you get older, your body has less power. Right. So literally it's not as high. So there's a kink in the garden hose. So not only are you trying to wash away rocks that have been glued together, you know, to make these big rocks, but you've also kinked the garden hose. So all the components basically unkink the garden hose and crack the rocks into little bitty pieces so that every night when you're, you're, you're asleep and the lymphatic system triggers and opens that cerebrospinal fluid and, and interstitial fluid can go in and actually wash and pull that stuff out. So you get progressively better and better and better. And then it starts to upregulate, you know, uh, your neurogenesis. And so what one of the studies found, and this, this is really intriguing, is that uh, the neurons that are produced after you start using the C60 actually had a different morphology. So physically they were different. Their, their axonal span is like two to three times larger than the normal span. Yeah, it's it, we we just jokingly call them super neurons because they're, you know, much larger. And I always think of it like a patch cord, you know, because if you have a neuron that can actually gap around something, um, you know, this is it, it's funny. There's a lot of things that are actually physical in nature and the the outcroppings people don't ever really pay attention to why we do things. But if you can't think of something right, what do you do? You think around it. Because if you look at the the shape of a neuron, you're trying to get some sort of either electric or electrochemical potentiation to land at a certain spot where you can pull something. But if you can't, you think of things in the periphery and you kind of link the pathway around to it. 
you know, because you're not, you're, for whatever reason, you're occluded and you're blocked on the straight shot. But if you start remembering like, what the heck was that person's name? Ah, well, where was I? Well, who was I talking to? And you start kind of filling in, you're going to, you're going to eventually get there. And I think there's, there's a correlation between that and the actual, the structural shape of, of that stuff. Just on that, like just sometimes I am guilty of thinking, well, if, if one is good, surely two must be better. What if I were to take get up in the morning and take the Olympic RX and then of an evening take the neural RX? Or is that what you propose people? That's do? what I do. Yeah, there that's, you go. Yeah, that's actually. You're living the I dream, right? You're living the dream. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to kind of practice what I preach, and you know, sometimes I do. Sometimes I I still take time off though, and I'll cycle it. You know, I'll do I'll do a run, and then I'll take sometimes a week, sometimes a month off. Um, you know, I, over the past 12 years or so that I've been doing this, I'll go through periods where I, I purposely try and cycle off. And the reason for that is I don't think your body's designed to do anything exogenous, anything from the outside consistently, because it's so adaptive. Mm-hmm. Everything I've seen basically shows that if you take something all the time, then your body can sense that pretty quickly and it downregulates its own production. So since I don't want to shut off my own production of glutathione or my own production of superoxide dismutase, I cycle, you know, nor my normal run would be five days on two days off. So I'll take it throughout the week and then I'll just chill out on the weekends and not take it. And that's kind of, that's so yeah, that's sort of my personal cycle. I'm going to do that with creatine one hydrate, mate. It's about time I had a break from that, but thank you. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's creatine monohydrate is fan freaking tastic. I wish more people took it, especially just mentally. You know, I mean, everybody should be hammering back for the majority of the week five grams of that stuff a day, and it, it's uh, it's it's actually sad that people aren't. It's one of the few things that has really been very well studied and has almost every single time shown. Oh, will you look at that? It's better for your muscles. Oh, it's better for your brain. That's actually it's a lot. It's a lot like C sixty, right? You know, carbon is kind of one of the backbones of what you know human physiology is built on, and uh, it, it's not terribly shocking that when you put something in that amps up your energy system, protects you against basically rusting and oxidizing. And uh, then, you know, it has the outcroppings of detoxification at a, a subcellular level where it can take things that are bad, bind to them, and then pull them out of your system. All that's positive. You know, I think, I think it's going to catch on more and more. I mean, I've been doing it for quite a while, but I think it's, it's really going to catch on a whole lot more over yeah. time. Hey, you know how you were just saying um, every now and then you cycle off, so you have a break and you, then you'll start again. Yeah. If, for me, you seem like quite a deep thinker as well, and I imagine you're you're very busy. It sounds like you've got a lot of, you certainly have a lot of uh, commitments with all the companies that you're working with, and then you know with with, with the sciences and you know the yeah I do the, the thinking. But but do you ever just go, hey, I need to remove myself from this, and I'm going to go have a week in the woods and just isolate myself and see what's in my brain because I've been so caught up in this research on C60 and building a gamma ray and all this sort of stuff. I just need some fresh thinking and remove myself. Do you ever do stuff like that? I used to. Uh, I, and I you don't, don't now because you're too busy or you just. No, uh, I, I used to meditate every day, right. Or, or almost every day. I think, I mean, there are certainly times when you miss and I did that consistently for the better part of three decades. Um, but then at kind of a, at a certain point in there, there was, there was kind of a pronounced transition and, after that, I just stopped meditating. 
Um, and it, it, I would, I would do it if I was going to meditate with other people, but it just became sort of an indulgent thing. Cause it, it truly was my favorite thing to do. Yeah. But after, uh, after that kind of shift in shift in consciousness, I suppose, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary anymore. And it was purely just indulgent. I mean, you, you don't carry a raft on your head when you make it to the other side of the river. So, yeah. <laughs> so I just kind of put it down and now. No, um, I mean, it, it seems like there's a, a lot of things going on, but there's there's also, truth be told, somewhat of a distance between the outward facing thoughts and what's actually happening on the inside. There, there are a tremendous amount of moving parts. I mean, I, I admittedly probably do, I don't know, 100, 120 hours a week of interaction and things with different companies and different people and different projects, which seems like a lot. But, you know, I love what I do. That's what I was about um, to say. Your I mean, face yeah. and your tone says you love it. Oh, I, I do, man. I'm I'm amazed that I actually get to do this. I feel like a kid in a candy store. That's cool. You know, it's just like, ha ha. You know, people want me to look at things and work on different projects, and and I, it is truly a dream come true. Like I just love being able to do this kind of stuff. You know, I fly all over the world and you know meet with really cool people working on really cool tech and get to see a lot of stuff. And and I, it just makes me very happy you know um i mean when you look at the world nowadays i think uh it's a little bit sad because collectively things have things have moved down and things are uh not as nice as they were even a decade ago just in terms of you know human capacity for interaction being positive Mm -hmm. but um by the same token there are a lot of times when i i meet people who are damn near just magical you know there there's some really great people out there and so i just try and focus on you know the good and the positive and uh I do. I feel genuinely lucky that I get to do this stuff. It it does seem kind of harried. And from the outside, I'm sure it, it, literally everyone who works with me always tells me like, you know, you, you got to slow down you need to take a break. You got to work on your physiology, you know, like chill out a little bit. And and that's true. But, you know, as you know, because it was before dawn when we started this here, you know, uh, I conked out. I slept for the night before I got a good whopping three hours of sleep last night, I got three hours of sleep. And then I laid back down for about an hour and just laid there before I got up again. Um, I'm just excited about what I get to do, man. And, and, you know, and truth be told, I'm, I'm in service to, you know, trying, trying to get things to move forward. And luckily I seem to have a lot of insights. So it's not so much, it's actually not so much that I think deeply about things. I think it's more, things aren't quite so obfuscated. I actually just am more of an open channel. You know, a lot of times I don't actually feel like, you know, some of the things that come come out of my lab, I don't really feel like I should even take credit for them. I mean, they do because they come through me, but um, it's it's like I just am quiet and the answer shows up. You know, I'll ask the question and I'm, I'm quiet and then I hear the answer. Literally, I hear the answer. I just write it down and go do it. And yeah. so it sounds, you know, and... You know, you can you can ask Hunt. There's there's a lot of things that transpire in my lab that are not normal. You know, they, you a lot of people would say, "Well, that's not possible." No, it's actually possible. It's just not common. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, there's that's the difference between or difference between possibility and probability. It's certainly possible, highly improbable. You know, and uh, and I think because I I try and utilize all of my different capacities for the betterment of people as a whole and the, you know, humanity in general, things just seem to flow really smoothly. And, and it keeps me engaged because I can see the, I can see the benefit. Like I'll, I'll share, I'll share with you one of the letters from one of the people that um, her mom, she was a doctor and her mom had Alzheimer's and she sent it to me. And 
man, it, it moved me to tears. And like, when you see stuff like that and you go like, wow, something that I was a party to like really helped this woman. Cause I, I knew her professionally, but I had no idea what was going on behind the scenes and just how bad it was with her mom who was in really advanced Alzheimer's and had cancer at the same time. And it, it, it's profound, right? Like you realize like, Oh my God, I, I actually was, uh, instrumental in some way uh, in helping this this woman and in, in her life and making it better. I don't know that there's a whole lot more you can ask for yeah, other yeah. than that, right? Like it's, you know, just that's a life well lived. Even if I got hit by a bus this afternoon, I'd be like, Meh, bummer, bus, you know, <laughs> you know. But but it, it's uh, you know, I've I've tried to help a lot of people and do a lot of good stuff, and man, I feel I feel pretty good about it. Meaning in service to others. Is there is, yeah. there is there a a product uh, a moment? Okay, excluding the the story you shared with your friend, is there a moment uh, a product a thought that you're most proud of? There have been moments where I was, I think I can think of two in this particular field, like in you know, in kind of like the the biological fields that that were pronounced one was one was the the first time the neural rx completely rolled someone out of alzheimer's that was they they it was actually it was a a 90 year old person or they were in their 90s and they were in, in a nursing home and had advanced alzheimer's and it was a fellow who was a distributor of mine um that i had, i had known with my previous company and he reached out to me and literally the day that i had finished the the neural rx uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, do you have anything for Alzheimer's? And I thought, okay, this can't be a coincidence, right? <laughs> like I just finished Universe. this. No one's ever asked me about it. And suddenly, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm not the not the sharpest tool in the entire shed, but I, I can pick up a pattern in that. I thought, yeah, okay, nobody's ever asked me about this the day I finish it, somebody asked. And I, so I said, yeah, sure. So I sent him a whole case of the stuff and he put his dad on it and he took it for eight weeks and then he went on vacation. And so I didn't hear anything. And there was, there was a little bit of progress, but nothing much. And then uh, he was due back in Canada two weeks later. And so when he, when he got back, he started blowing my phone up and I thought, Oh shit, his dad died, you know, because he was in his nineties and it was kind of a, a, you know, like a punt anyway, it was like the last, last ditch effort to try and help him because he was he had sent me video and he had big woolly beard and was incoherent like babbling incoherently and it, it was sad and so donald kept kept hitting my phone up and so i i called him back expecting the worst and i said hey man you know what's going on and he said ah you won't believe it my dad checked himself out of the home and i said sorry what his dad had actually become so aware somewhere between the eighth and tenth week after taking it that he literally checked himself out of the nursing home, went to the grocery store, bought food, bought razors, had shaved himself clean and had started cooking. And he hadn't been able to do that stuff for like five years. And Donald was just like flabbergasted. And, you know, he was, he was just like, I have my dad back. You know, he said, he's making me take list of all the things that he needs for his room at the home. And, and he was suddenly interactive and like, he literally got his dad back. And I, I, I was so, it was a Saturday morning when we were talking. I was so dumbfounded that I literally drove around for like two hours and was just, 
<laughs> I, I couldn't, I, there was so much cognitive dissonance. I mean, you, you always want to know that you, what you're doing is helping or that you're making progress or that something's working. As a scientist, you always think like, yeah, this is probably going to make a dent. It'll be helpful. You know, because I had, I had broken everything down and I knew that everything individually worked, but I just didn't know that it would have like that kind of effect. And that's not to say that it would work in a hundred percent of the people. I mean, maybe it would, I, I can't really say that because I haven't tested a hundred percent of the people, but but it's it still, I, that was one of those moments. That was one of the two moments. I literally drove around for about two hours just in, in circles around the town by the lab because I, I could not fathom the gravity of what had just happened. It was boggling to me. And that, that, that was one of, the, one of the two moments where I was incredibly just dumbfounded and, and happy. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could shout it from the mountaintops and kind of beat a drum on it and say, like, like if this is a, if this is affecting somebody, if this is a thing that's hitting somebody you love, do this. It's compared compared to the stuff that that you know the big pharma world puts out. It's efficacious and it's cheap and it's going to help. And you know that I mean that's the goal, right? It's like it's I, I always say, fix the people, break the system, right? Because the system is fucked. It's not designed to help people. I, the, the other moment was this cancer therapeutic I'd worked on. And I, I literally, I was, I was at the International Bioconference in San Diego in 2014, right after I developed this thing. And I was with the president of like the finance wing of one of the five largest pharma companies in the world. And we had been in this, this meeting. And uh, I, I talked to him about this product because I wanted to, to get it out for cancer. And, and basically, he, kind of with with a lot of glee told me that one he didn't want to see the research because he thought it was bullshit and i said look i'll, I'll show you everything and he said no no, no no i don't want to see it which is really probably more plausible deniability than anything else um just because if you know that there's a, a cheap effective way to eliminate something like that out there you know you don't want to see that as you know one of the largest pharma companies in the world because it really casts a light on the fact that what you're doing is not about healthcare, you're not trying to heal people. You're basically trying to increase shareholder value, right? And what he told me, and this was one of those moments where it was like, I will forever remember this because it was like somebody popped the balloon next to my ear. Um, he asked me if I, you know, because I had stated that I had done it for prostate cancer at that point. And he said, well, can you retool it for you know, pancreatic or say small cell lung carcinoma? And I said, yeah, I can, I can do both. And he goes, okay. And like with a lot of glee, he goes, here's what you do. You do it for pancreatic cancer because they'll die faster. You'll get out of your clinicals quicker and you can get to market faster. And it was literally like, like somebody popped a balloon next to me. I was like, holy shit, these guys, like, this is the president, right? Like, yeah. this reflects the culture of this entire organization. We are on very different pages. Like, I'm trying to do things that fix people, you know? And that was, I think, one of the first moments where I realized, like, there is something very grievously wrong with the entire mm. approach here, right? Like in one camp, you've got the guys who make a lot of money who are running what the research people are doing. In another camp, you have these researchers where we all think like, oh, we're doing these things that we're trying to solve these problems and do this and do that and help this. Yeah, within parameters, right? Because, and that's why I, you know, I'm in a lucky position because of what I've been able to do that I can pay for my own research. I do my own research. I'm not dependent on grants and funding from other big companies, which is great because it keeps it honest, right? Like if I completely screw it up, great. It's my dime. If I completely knock it out of the park, great. It's my dime. It doesn't matter, right? It's just, it's... In that, oh, context, in that context on 
have have you ever been perceived as a threat? Is has there ever been a moment where an organization such as the one where that that dickhead is no. I'm a dickhead? Where that, no, that, that, I uh I, I think actually because I'm kind of just a small fish in, in a little pond and nobody really knows who the hell I am, um, you know, it's not it's not really perceived as a threat. And I, I'm a big I did I, I did actually have somebody tell me one time they were like, listen, with regard to the cancer thing, you need to shut up. Like you just need to be quiet. And I said, No, why? And they said, I like you, you know, you I, it'd be a shame to see you whacked. And and I and I said, dude, that seems entirely tinfoil hat. Like I don't think that's really like realistic. And and then I, but you know, being an open fellow, I kind of I started looking around and there was there was actually like at that particular point, and this was, you know, in like 2016, 2017, there was a spate of cancer researchers who were being uh killed and you know and they're or committing suicide and some of some of them were ridiculous it was kind of you know it was kind of like the the suicide thing a lot of them were suicides they were ruled suicides but it was like the suicide for the guy who had you know uh done a bunch of stuff on on the cia you know ferrying drugs way back when who died of of a suicide from two gunshot wounds to the head Right. You know, like literally twice. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was yeah. And that literally and that actually you can look that up. I mean, the, the guy, it was ruled a suicide from two gunshot wounds to the head. I don't know how the hell you rule that a suicide. Oh, my bad. Didn't do it. There we go. You know, it's yeah. like, and one of the one of the cancer things that my son still jokes with me about to, to this day is uh, death by nail gun. Someone shot themselves in the back with a nail gun 12 times and that was ruled a suicide. Now, how that's a suicide, that's a pretty bold suicide. You know, I, uh, I, I, I don't think anybody really pays attention to much of the stuff I do because I'm considered very fringe. You know, at some point, uh, of the research, some of the research I know will get traction, but it's, it's when, when things catch up to sort of where I'm at, because, you know, something has to be kind of the, the spear point. And a lot of time the people on the, on the tip doing the really fringe research, uh, it's to mainstream thought a little laughable and strange. And the people kind of go, Oh, it's, that's quackery. You know, that's total BS. It's not accurate, but it's guys like Luke Montagnier, right? Luke was, he was the Nobel laureate who isolated the HIV virus, right? And so he's a doctor, got a Nobel prize for isolating the HIV virus, and then spent 15 years working on water memory. And everybody would say that he was just a stupid quack, save the fact that he was a Nobel laureate. And, you know, and kind of similarly to what he'd done with water research, with the HIV virus, he was like, hey, found it, isolated it, and nobody paid attention to him for about three years before they were like, oh, <laughs> turns out he did. And so then, you know, he, he was given the Nobel prize. Um, but with the water research the stuff, the experiments that he has done are crazy, but brilliant. Like it, one of the ones that is, and this is, it's kind of a strange experiment, but he took someone's blood that had HIV and put a drop into water, did a, like a tenfold dilution. Um, and then took one drop out of that, put it in another tube, did a tenfold dilution, shook it, did, did another, and kept going until literally, if you ran a spectral analysis on it, it was just water, the equivalent of putting like a drop in the oceans of the world, right? So it's it's really after that many fold dilution, it just reads as water, no organic material whatsoever. And then he would use this recording array and record the frequencies coming off of that water. 
And then he would email the wave file with the frequencies to the Polytechnic Institute in Italy. They would play them back into a new vial of water, a thousand kilometers away, add a polymerase chain reactor to it, and then rebuild the DNA. And it was rebuilt with 98% fidelity for the DNA that they had used uh, in the research lab at, at no, his place. Why? Yeah. And I mean, so, you can look it up. Homeopathy, the. the, the Exactly. And that's why people are like, oh, that can't possibly work. Well, apparently, you know, shockingly, water, if you stack it, and, and water actually does, it stereoscopically stacks. It's not just random H2O floating around. It actually stacks as H3O2 in this kind of crystalline matrix. And, you know, and it, you can read Gerald Pollack's book. Uh, when I when I was teaching, I had two books that were required reading for my course. One was Gerald Pollack's book, The Fourth Phase of Water. And the other was a book, um, uh, about quantum biology. And and those were two books that I thought were really, really important uh, because they make people think. The Life at the Edge was the quantum biology book. And it just makes people think about, well, maybe we understand it, but maybe we don't. And the, and the problem there is, like, if you if you went back 400 years and you told somebody, oh, the whole population is getting sick because they're being infected by these little things that you can't see that are moving through their body and it's spread in the air, people would have been like, ha, heretic, burn him. You yeah. know, they wouldn't believe it, right? But, you know, the technology advances were like, oh, look at that, bacteria. Oh, we go even farther and go, oh, well, what's that? Viruses, you know, and now we're we're doing stuff and kind of on the front lines where like Montagnier's work where it's it sounds like quackery right like homeopathy oh can't possibly be right maybe maybe that's the case but maybe you know if you stereoscopically stack something and it forms a crystalline matrix I can see a lot of cases where crystals do store things right we use we use matrices as a storage media all the time, right? In fact, we can use electron spin as a storage media. You know, it's uh, you can you can store a lot more data if you stop recording it the way we typically do it and use electron spin, right? And actually, just the way something is rotating is the zero or the one in lieu of you know actually burning something in to be a zero or one or waiting for an electron to move through a transistor. If you just look at the spin, right, you can do the same thing. And and spintronics is I mean that's it's very cutting edge. But it's a thing, right? Yeah. And so we as people, I think, have so much hubris about like, you know, the give a monkey a brain, he'll think he's the center of the universe kind of thing. We are just scratching the damn surface, right? Like literally with our senses, we pick up 0.0001% of the total electromagnetic spectra. So to say that a lot of stuff is probably missing us is like the most gross understatement. It's like literally if you walked up to, you know, in, in the States, like, the Empire State Building, and you put your face against it and then opened your eyes and said, tell me everything about this entire building, right? That's kind of, that's the equivalent in scale of what we do with pretty much everything. So there's so much more that we can learn and, you know, learn and expand on. But but again, guys like Montagnier, he's kind of fringe, right? The stuff I'm doing with, you know, quantum technology and things like that, it's considered very fringe. A lot of people just go, they're very dismissive offhandedly and go, well, that can't be. Why? Can't be because we're so amazing as humans that we've figured everything out. Like Lord Kelvin said at the turn of the last century, like everything that can be discovered has, you know, like, right. Yeah. And, you know, his postulate was that everything that could be discovered already was discovered. And the only thing from here on out was gradients and degrees of precision with it. Yeah, because nothing's changed in the past hundred years. You know, it's it's laughable. 
And uh, it's, I mean, you know, that's what gets me going though. It's like, I get the, I'm, you know, that's my sandbox. I get to play yeah. with all the weird stuff. And, and is there, you, you mentioned so many names and spoke so highly of the people that you surround yourself with, but do you have like a, a mentor that you, you know, when you, you have this brain explosion and then you're like, holy cow. And then, you know what, I just want to bounce this off this person that I go to. Do you, do you have a mentor or you just have a group of mates that you just get together and chew the fat with? Or? Yeah, I've, I've got a, I'm, I'm lucky in that I have a, a group of people that I, I, I can call and, and bounce ideas off of that are by all measures, really, you know, some of the top minds in the world and, you know, in, in a lot of different domains, right. Which I'm, and I'm lucky because I, for whatever reason, get to work in a whole lot of different fields. Uh, so, you know, and that's kind of, that's handy because I think I'm kind of like, I have a squirrel brain, like the total ADHD kind of like, you know, <laughs> like, but, but, but the plus about that is nowadays there's so many specialists um, that it sort of doesn't allow for generalists, right? And there are things that I will see in one domain and go, well, you know, okay, biochemically, we have a problem with this, but that's been solved over here. And so I'll just take something from one area and shift it to a different domain and go, oh, yeah, they already cracked that problem, right? I was I was working on a pyrolysis project, and that was, uh, I was trying to make a heat shield and uh, we were, it was for the, the carbon negative concrete. We were trying to work on biochar production. And so I was racking my brain trying to figure all this stuff out. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Automotive industry. So I just went and looked at what the automotive industry had done. And, and I pulled basically what they had done because they had solved that puzzle, you know, 60 years earlier. And so there's a, there's a lot of things like that where, you know, you just, you look around the world and go, ah, okay this is done over here. I'm going to combine that with this piece and, you know, turn it into a slightly different widget. And luckily, because I'm able to do that pretty fluidly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that actually is because I, you know, was a jazz musician. I studied chemistry and jazz and uh, it's like improvisation. You, you understand the structure and then you figure out how much wiggle room do I have within this particular chord progression and what can I do? And that's just the basics, right? And then then once you have the technical proficiency and prowess to be able to do that with a, with a high degree of acuity, what you want to do is you make it artful, right? And that's that's like what I really dig is like anybody can – like I, I doubt if there's actually a problem that I – and this will sound strange, but I, I could probably get a, a pretty decent run at almost any puzzle – um, maybe, but it wouldn't be an elegant solution. What I'm always going for is the elegant solution, right? Like I could hack my way through something and get like a really crummy, like 50, 60% solution and go like, oh, well I've solved it, which is what I think most of humanity does, but they don't ever take it the next steps to, to come up with what's really good. I, I always joke that it's the principle of reinventing the oval, right? Like everybody thinks they've made a wheel. It's probably not. It's probably more like a wonky oval. You know, it's like every time it rolls around, you know, but, but because you you created it, you go like, aha, with the wheel, which initially when I was reading the, the research that Fati Musa had done with that study back in 2012, I was like, yeah, this is great. And people started copying it and just making, you know, like C60 with 0.8 megs per mil uh, added to olive oil. And I thought, what are the odds that these guys in a lab nailed the exact percentage and were able to optimize for it? And I was like, eh, I think that's highly implausible. I mean, it's possible, but again, 
highly implausible. So I spent, you know, I don't know, six, eight months working on just lipids and how you could do lipid binding and how you could maximize the ratios and lipid binding to get a higher yield. So my stuff is all like 1.2 mg per mil, which is, you know, 150% of what is considered the the average. And and I it, at first, you know, a decade ago, I got panned for that. Uh, people were like, oh, that's not possible. You know, that's quackery. They can't do that. It's this is the the binding cap. It, it's absolutely not. And, you know, now I mean, I've got all the HPLC analysis on that, that shows very clearly that not only could I do that, I could do much higher than that. Um, but at the time it was panned because people just assumed that what had already been done was the best thing. So they were just copying it and nobody was actually thinking about it and going, yeah, this is awesome. Like we just scratched the surface. Is it really likely that this is the best we can do? Of course not. That's you know, so, so I cool. just, that's yeah, cool. you know, and then so, you, so and on then, that though, what what iteration of Neural and Olympic RX are you? Like, just say, uh, is is this the one that's at market now? This is the fifth yeah, this iteration. Is like iteration five. Yeah, and wow. they're and are honestly, you happy with five? How are you sitting with yeah, you? They're they're legit. Actually, that that's the thing is like there's a point. My dad always used to say because his mentor uh, in in art, a fellow named Ben Plugger, said this that it takes two painters to paint a painting: one to paint it, one to tell him when to stop. And, and, you know, and I am, I am sometimes guilty of that. Like the, the fifth iteration is good. I can just chill out at this point. Um, and the, the neural is actually, yeah. Neural isn't really at the fifth iteration. It's more like at the third iteration, but the Olympic is like the fifth iteration. And, but, but they're both like, that's good. I can chill out there. They're, they're really great. They do what they're supposed to do. And I just, I need to stop tinkering with that and move on to the, which I've already done, moved on to the next stuff and tried to, you know, been working on other things. Actually, interestingly enough, the, the one that I've been working on now is longevity. So, and that's, it. you know, com- Please tell me about yeah, it. well, and that's, you know, using L-carnosine and urolithin A and a couple of other things and, and different lipids actually, because you, you want to get different effects and in your body, the body, anybody who works with physiology in any capacity or biology in any capacity and isn't constantly in awe is doing it wrong. Because yeah. like you you can't you can't actually start drilling down on this thing and go like what that's incredible like it does so many things on so many levels and so I I've when been, you say you know, lipids iron what what what's you know Brian Johnson the most measured man in the world fifteen percent of his calories come from olive oil um, when when you say lipids in relationship to longevity are you are you it's olive oil and then are you looking at Caprylic acid, and is there a third one that you? Uh, yeah, actually, so for longevity, yeah, there's no caprylic in it. There, there is some olive oil, and there's some other oils too. Um, so, and it, it, it'll be sometime. I'll probably start demoing it and doing testing on it sometime next year. I've already got the formulation worked out. Awesome. Um, so now it's just a matter of really kind of dialing it in. Because again, you know, I mean, it, it's great as it stands, but I really want to see just just what it can do. And before I, before I, you know, cause right now the wizard sciences is it's kind of funny. It's because we have five products, right? Four products for people and one product for animals and that's it. And, you know, we'll be releasing some, some new stuff shortly, but it's, uh, it's just kind of funny because they're all products that really work and that's why they're there. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, it seems simple and seems kind of boring as the site goes, but 
they all work, right? So the common trade C sixty between all five of your products. Yeah, uh, all yeah on those it is right, and so some of the new stuff that's coming out, it you know that that thread will not be there um, because even though that's that is actually the best modality I've seen to use for just kind of enhanced health and longevity um, so far. But th- there's some other things that I think are really brilliant, like molecular hydrogen. It's great. Uh, methylene blue, same thing. Great. Methylene like blue, but isn't there some controversy on the methylene blue? I, I was looking at this just the other night. Especially the yeah, new- actually, there is. Yeah, yeah there, there is. And I and I think people are using it. I, I think the quantities that people are using, like I, I'm actually, I've been working with it for you know, quite a bit now, a couple of years. And what I've arrived at is is literally, you know, like 0.25 milligrams is a is a good daily dose, mm. which which is an insanely small amount, um, like truly, truly insanely small. And now, now you can go all the way up to like 2.5 milligrams and again, crazy small dose. Um, but it, it doesn't take a lot, right? It, it has, it has a pretty pronounced effect and, and you can get it. And a lot of people would argue that that's like a, such a small amount, it wouldn't do anything. Maybe. But, you know, it's not doing it by itself. When you put things in concert with other things, um, you oftentimes get potentiated effects, right? You know, um, you you use theanine with caffeine, you get a very different effect than if you just have caffeine, right? And so one of the things, and this, this gets back to what I was saying about looking at things artistically, right? Once you have the degree of proficiency where you can actually come up with a formulation and nail it, that's just iteration one, right? So then you start going, okay, well, how can I optimize this? How can I change the minimum effective dose? Because really in a perfect world, the things that we would take would be so infinitesimally small. We wouldn't be hammering back big things. Like I've looked at at Brian Johnson's uh, blueprint and, uh, you know, I applaud the degree of uh, (laughs) kind of rigor that he's approaching it with. Uh, Personally, not how I want to live my life. Um, but you know, I mean, he's, he's measuring things out and, and I do, I do agree with him that if you take the human component out of the decision tree and just say, this is how it flows and just follow that, it's much easier. But by the same token, computers do that incredibly well. Uh, I was not born as a computer, so I actually kind of prefer to do things just in a sort of more organic way. Um, you know, it's, it's November. I enjoy eggnog during the holidays. I'm going to partake. You yeah. know, there's, 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 I actually, life is meant to be lived. And it's just, if the threshold is just like, how many years can I put on the clock? How many times can I go around the sun? Well, you know, you could just freeze yourself in a cryostasis and uh, just stay there and then be thought out a long time now and you would have won the game. I think it's about that. I think it's about, you know, like human connection and interaction. And it, it's, um, that's the art that you spoke about again, isn't it? The, the, yeah. It's, it, that's the beauty, right? That's, I mean, that's the thing is like, if, if you were a very old creature, but you were entirely by yourself, it wouldn't be that fulfilling. You know, I think you, I think you'd want to have, you know, uh, friends and compatriots and, you know, people in your life that you can interact with. I mean, that's, that's the juice, right? That's, that's what it's all about. It's not just about some specific metric. Like I did this. It's more about who you did it with and how you did it. And that's kind of the beauty. You know, so I, I like the the artful component of those things and to drill down and say, okay, like I've got this formula. Now I'm going to make it really something kind of fancy. And, and there are times when I'll, you know, I'll do something and go like, oh, 
damn, totally missed it. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Because, you know, nutrients synergize food. It's the synergistic magic, the art of – but then sometimes when you – they don't synergize and you're like, well, that component actually negated that component or that must happen sometimes as well, yeah? Oh, oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It's actually – I joke I joke a lot with my staff, you know, because they a lot of them think that like, oh, my God, you know, this is like you're cranking this stuff out. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like I screw up and fail more than like damn near anybody. I just do it really rapidly, right? It's, you know, fail fast, fail often, and then you're going to come up with something. It's kind of like, you know, Babe Ruth, right? You know, record for most, you know, home runs, but also most strikeouts, you know, like – you swing for the fences. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. You you have to be kind of one, just agnostic about where data takes you. And then two, you got to have kind of a thick skin um, about being a total moron, right? Like you have to be okay <laughs> with doing things that are absolutely just stupid. Yeah. And I, my dad, who's just like truly by the numbers was always like one of the most brilliant guys on the planet. Um, he gave me this book one time about enhancing your genius and because I always used to, it used to kind of frustrate me. Right? We, we would talk about things and he was always so sharp, like so much sharper and I could barely keep up. And it, and, it, and truly across literally, you know, he could fly planes and drive boats and do this and like damn near everything. And, uh, and it was, it was kind of hard to keep up with, which I'm sure is why I probably paced up to be able to hang. Um, but he gave me this book and, it, and one of the exercises in the book was go into a public place and make loud animal noises. And I did it. I went into a Barnes and Noble in Westlake in Austin and, you know, like, and people like, you know, are looking at me and the, the whole purpose of it was you, if you're going to be a genius, right. By, by virtue of that term, it means you're operating very much outside of the bands of normalcy. A lot of times people are going to think you're a complete idiot because what you propose is going to seem starkly in contrast with everything everybody else is doing. And so you have to be okay with people looking at you like, that guy's a moron. What an idiot, you know? And There's, and, and, there's you an know, element of stoicism in there as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius would be proud. He probably yeah. wouldn't make animal noises, but he'd be <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Right. If, if Marcus Aurelius had been there, he probably would have been like, Cool, kill him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, you, there is an element of stoicism to it. You, you just can't be, you know, Buddha said it. He kind of nailed it as, as he did with most things. You know, a wise man is neither influenced by praise nor blame. And and that's kind of the, the thing is like, yeah, sometimes you do well. Sometimes you do poorly. Sometimes you're a brilliant guy. Sometimes you're a moron. Eh. You know, it's just that's kind of par for the course. That's the beauty of this place, right? Like, boop, boop, boop. It's you. You asked earlier about you know some of the modalities like red light. Um, red light it works is. because it, yeah, red light works because it penetrates the cells at different differing depths, right? Red is more to the surface, infrared goes a little deeper, far infrared goes even deeper. But what what happens there is it's working on the same electron transport chain. It hits a thing called cytochrome and, and photonically advances the cell cycle, right? So it literally shakes it at a deep level, bumps the the molecule of nitric oxide that's there out of the way, replaces it with an oxygen. So it's it's forcibly advancing the cell cycle using photons because our bodies work photonically, magnetically, chemically, biochemically. You can do you can you can crack that egg a lot of different ways, right? You can even do it with sound. On that, they just say if you have a tumorous growth and you apply red, far infrared, near infrared, would that enhance the growth of the tumor? 
Yeah, it? it would. Well, it, okay, that's that's things get a little sticky. So it's yeah. a lot of people ask the same question about NMN. So there's a thing called NQ01 inside the cells that utilize NAD for growth, right? And so when you take something like NMN um, in a cancer cell, it will you know take control of the NQ01, start sucking stuff in, and and upregulate. But that's a people often ask that about you know like oh if you take this and it has NMN, is that going to enhance cancer growth. And well, no, it won't actually, because I put PQQ in there and there are about you know, 52 different things that, that kind of block quinolones or one of them that, that block the uh, co-opting of NQ01 that would allow cancer cells to propagate using that, that energy. But red light on the surface, it stimulates the cell growth. Um, with cancer cells, th- that's a little bit, that's a little bit dicey, right? So there's, um, you, you can use light to actually kill cancer cells if you use photosensitizers, um, but just hitting them with red light probably isn't going to be the best thing because you are going to, you are going to add energy to that system. Now I, I would like to, uh, I would like to see a little bit of data done on that because that's my hypothesis. Right. right. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that anybody's done any research because you've got two things right there. Cancer cells, if you can change the environment around a cancer cell and you can balance the cytoplasm around the cancer cell and and you can actually change the interior components of a cancer cell, the progeny are no longer cancerous cells. They actually revert to being healthy cells. And, and I know that to be the case because there's actual research on that. Um, red light, I don't know what the effect would be in terms of changing the area around it, because if you can use that to balance the area around it, then there could be a very good case for it would actually have the opposite effect. It would normalize all the cellular function around it. And hence the progeny of those cells would be healthy in lieu of cancerous. So I don't, I don't know. You know, that's actually, that's a good question. I'll see somebody may have done research on that. I really don't know, but, but I'm actually very curious about that. Thanks. You know what, mate? We might have to discuss that in part two of this conversation. I just looked at my phone. Uh, yeah. Watch. It's it, in Hong Kong. It's ten past eleven. Uh, in the ah. Well, yeah, I'm we can call it. I'm living I'm the dream. Happy, as well, happy mate. to do around too. Yeah, I'd happy love to do around because too. You know how you spoke about previously. You spoke about how you get to hang out with amazing people and amazing thinkers, and you feel like the kid in the candy store. That's me right yeah. now. To be honest, I am. That's me right now. I'm the kid in the kid. I, man. I've I've thought about doing a podcast just because I know so many really cool people that I same thing. I would I would love to have a forum where people could just see the conversations that we have because I know there are literally like the conversations I was having this past weekend. People would have paid to see those conversations because it's people who are really deep into a field that are really passionate about it, that have the latest research and, you know, and not everybody gets to go to, you know, scientific conferences where, you know, kind of in the, the, and and actually at the conference itself, that's not where the really cool stuff is going on. It's, you know, when people pair off and go have coffee afterwards and, you know, and are just just talking, that's, that's when the real stuff comes out. Because somebody will be like, Hey, did this thing, no idea what the hell this is. What do you think? You know? And that's, that's where the real, like, the zest of all those things happens. So yeah, I, I thought about doing the same thing just because I think people would like to see those, this kind of conversations. And I, and I'm lucky, man. I, I feel exactly like you do. I just, I enjoy being able to, uh, you know, go hang out with these places. There are a lot of times 
there are a lot of times when I'm kind of like <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally taken aback and you know, just say it again, say it again. Yeah, it's, seriously, it's so, it's so much it's so much fun to to find yourself in some of those situations where you're like, oh my god, yeah, unbelievably cool. So, well, yeah. I'm I'm so stoked that we got to connect finally. Um, and Matthew, yeah, man, I'm I'm glad up. Hunt hooked this up. Yeah. yeah, he's a great bloke, mate. I'm so appreciative. For he he truly show. is, truly. Yeah. And he, he cares a lot, and especially in this, this longevity space, he's certainly at the forefront here in Hong Kong, that's for sure. Um, as you are in so many fields, Ian Mitchell, so thank you very much for giving me the time that you did today. I, I, no, my pleasure, Andrew, seriously. And you've got a, a conference, the Dragonfly Conference, that you're going to speak about to, uh, to speak at uh, in Boulder, Colorado today. So I yep. wish you all the best for that. And oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Mate, I'm gonna pester you again in a month or so. No, I, I okay. I'd be happy to, man. This is uh yeah, this was great fun. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, let's uh let's plan a we plan a part two at some point. Awesome. And then what I would say if anyone uh to everyone that listened to this podcast, they're straight away going, I need to get myself some of that Olympic RX and that neural RX. Where do they go, mate? Just I'm going wizardsciences.com. Where, where are we going? Wizardsciences.com. Yeah, wizardsciences.com. Yep. Right. And yeah. we jump on and order it by the bucket load. Is that is that cool with you, mate? Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah. What I would do actually is set up a subscription, even if you cancel it, you know, the, the moment after you get the stuff, it'll lock you in for a 15% discount. So just, you know, just sign up as a subscription, then immediately cancel it. And, you know, because really my goal, I mean, I like to I like to be able to to pay my people and keep the lights on and everything. But really the goal is to like get, get this stuff out to as many people as I possibly can. So, you know, like hammer on, go, go forth and uh, enjoy, use it. And literally, and I always tell people this, they think it's, they think it's a joke, but people are believing it more and more. Like I'm pretty accessible. You can hit me up on Instagram. Uh, it's at Ian Mitchell one, um, you know, and I genuinely might, I'm here to help. So uh, if I have some particular skill set that, you know, might help somebody with an issue that they have that they, you know, don't really have the tooling to do, you know, hit me up. It, it always takes me a little while because I, I, at this point, I do get a litany of people reaching out, but that's what I'm here to do. So, um, you know, hit, hit me up. I'll get back to you. It may take a bit, but I'll get back to you. Thank you, mate. When you say skill set and there's plenty of passion and enthusiasm there as well, which is amazing. So thanks again, mate. <laughs> Have a great day. My pleasure, man. Colorado, and I'll connect with you again soon. All right. Much love, man. Peace out. Bye. Bye.